0: Episode 7, Vikings of the Pandemic, Newfoundland 2025. The last update of the year of the Cape Spear WHO Research Laboratory took place a week before the Christmas holidays. The Northern team's task was to summarize what they'd learned about the consumption virus and the treatment possibilities in the Northern plant and animal specimens they had collected There was a feeling of constrained optimism on the part of who and the team members that this research might point the way to an antidote to the virus as it continued to rage across the globe with the colder winter weather the ability of public health measures to combat the spread was more limited newfoundland and northern canada continued to maintain a lower infection rate and the natural immunity of the Inuit population was the subject of a WHO investigation. Thurgood Haraldson from Iceland as project manager was chairing the meeting. Cynthia McKinnon was in attendance, and Tyler Trafford, who was the Geneva was located in the Geneva head office, was coordinating communications between the team and WHO. All three had been with the Newfoundland team at Narsarsaklak Greenland in the summer. The Newfoundland team was comprised of Anna Work, Lily Yabusaki, Gupta Arwal, Leonard, Leonard Buchanan, and Christina Anowak. Stanley Connors, the Canadian Oceanographer and climatologist heading up the St. Anthony's research facility was present remotely along with Elizabeth Chung, the biologist on his staff who collected the Newfoundland and Labrador specimens. The two Greenland biologists were also present remotely. Benjamin Patton, Anna's husband, and Claire Work, Anna's mother, were sitting in as observers. Thurgood welcomed everyone and outlined the order, order of the team's presentation. The following day, the team would meet again to discuss the avenues of research to pursue and to develop a plan for the next six months. Cynthia gave an update on the spread of the virus. Then Lily Yabazaki outlined what was clinically known about the con- consumption virus. And here is her summary. The virus is difficult to classify, as it could be comprised of three viruses. It is larger than other known viruses and can be seen with a strong microscope, similar to a bacterium. The first virus is an influenza virus A, a respiratory virus of a highly virulent nature, and similar to the avian flu virus. The second virus is similar to the coronavirus SARS and sars cov to the virus that caused the COVID pandemic in 2020 to 2022. Symptoms include acute respiratory distress, body aches, headache and fatigue, neurological dysfunction in some patients. The most disturbing virus that could be present is a phylovirus, similar to Marburg virus. The patients exhibit hemorrhagic fever-like symptoms with this virus. Such a unique combination makes us believe that this virus started out as a double-stranded RNA virus, both positive and negative senses are present, and either sense can be activated in the host. After gaining entrance to the patient, it surges out the weak spot in the patient's physiology and attacks that system. Gastrointestinal symptoms are usually present in the early stages of infection. We speculate that the virus could have its evolutionary roots in an ancestor common to all our modern-day viruses. This virus infects not only humans, but plants, other vertebrae, and non-vertebrae, particularly marine life. The structure is similar to other viruses that are familiar to us. It is enveloped with a phospholipid layer that protects it as it moves between host cells. The envelope has proven very difficult to, p- to penetrate in our laboratory experiments. The nucleus is surrounded by a protective coat of protein, a capsid consisting of spiked and rounded protein capsomers. The virus can enter the human body in a number of ways. If airborne through coughing and breathing, it enters the patient's nasal and bronchial passages, eventually moving into the lungs. It can be contracted through bodily fluids, such as human waste from an infected patient with diarrhea or blood from a patient with hemorrhagic fever. The bodily secretions of an infected person, including saliva and sweat, hope the infection and are able to transmit the virus to another person. The diverse methods of transmission of the reason the virus has a 50% infection rate and is so difficult to control through public health measures. After Lily, Anna and Gupta gave a presentation on the biochemistry laboratory experiments that they had been uh, conducting. And these are some of the results that they had found from their experiments. They ran on specimens collected in Greenland and Newfoundland, Labrador. The experiments were done in vitro. Utilizing blood, stool, and lung samples from infected humans and have not been tested against live laboratory animals. The virus was found in microorganisms in the marine soil samples collected in Greenland, but not in the Newfoundland soil samples collected at the limestone barrier near St. Anthony's. The virus was also found in anthropods and crustaceans collected in Greenland, Newfoundland, Labrador, and Iceland. This makes the virus accessible to migrating birds and mammals feeding on marine life, and we speculate that the vectors for global infection could be migrating birds. We do not know how this virus ended up in these soil samples and specimens. We speculate that it traveled to these locations within sediment carried south by ice melt, but analyzing soil and ice samples in glaciers in the far north is necessary to determine the point of origin. The enzymes found in the northern species of carnivorous plants, particularly in those species found in the limestone barrier, destroyed the virus It did this by breaking down the lipid envelope protecting the virus. There are two enzymes found in the carnivorous plants. One enzyme deactivated the acid found in the phospholipid layer and broke it down. And the other enzyme consumed the lipids acting against them, much as it does against an insect or foreign body that enters these flowers and plants. These enzymes have a weakening effect upon the capsid, covering the genome that that eventually dies because it lacks its protective coating. A leafy plant with red berries, a member of the Arctostaphylis family, is very common in the north and is used as a tobacco for smoking. The local name for it is bearberry. There are many varieties of the plant, in the north. We tested its biochemical elements against the virus and found that in infected lung tissue it lessened the viral load by replacing the virulence in the lung tissue with a glycoside present in the plant. These aerocyte glycosides act as an antiseptic against the virus. We isolated arbutin as one of the key active ingredients of the bearberry one of the most interesting finds was an arctic slug, a mollusk and perhaps a new species of the new Bronchia family. We collected this normal slug in both Greenland and on the limestone barrier in Newfoundland. We have reports it is also present in Nunavut. This species is larger than the slugs commonly seen in these two locations. Common slugs have been used medicinally within the Inuit committee community for a long time. The biochemistry of the new species and its effect upon the virus is complex. The surface of the arctic slug exudes a slime that contains anabicine, an acloid toxin that is not harmful to humans but is lethal against the slug predators. This toxin is very effective in destroying the virus we would call it a vericide. The toxicity of the anabicine is much greater in the slugs collected from the limestone barrier in Newfoundland when compared to the slugs collected from Greenland. The high acolyte content of the limestone barrier, the environment in which these slugs live, we believe makes the slug toxin more deadly to the virus. Anabicine consists of acetylcholine that depolarizes and neutralizes the virus by interrupting signaling within the virus structure. The depolarization process is triggered in the presence of a ligand, calcium, that binds the glycoproteins and the toxin to the virus capsule proteins. We believe that the acetylcholine is able to disrupt the viral RNA's transmission ability, therefore preventing it from synthesizing and duplicating itself within the host cell. The next presentation was given by Thurgood Arlson and Stephen Connors, who discussed oceanography and climate change. They commented on the presence of the virus in the soil samples in Greenland, as well as in Iceland, where Thurgood is stationed, and has ice melts due to Arctic warming. Glacial sediment carrying soil and microorganisms housing the virus are carried south to new areas. Moraine animals like arthropods and crustaceans that have ingested the microorganisms are carried south with the meltwater They are, in turn, consumed by migrating birds and other marine life. We know that the migrating patterns of birds who spend some part of the year in the Arctic have changed because of climate change. Migrating birds would be the perfect vehicle for transporting this virus around the globe. Studies of ice sheets over 10,000 years old could show us how the sediment and marine species living on the Arctic ocean floor have changed over time. Analysis of ice core needs to be carried out in both Nunavut and in Greenland. We will need input from glaciologists and possibly marine archaeologists to complete this research. We want to know if the virus or its ancestor is found in these core samples and if the Arctic slug found in Greenland, Newfoundland, and Iceland has an ancestor going back to the last glacial period on another note the limestone barrier newfoundland is a very unique environment for plant and marine life there are only a few such marine environments around the world as others have been destroyed by the rising acidity of the world's oceans Some virologists believe that the rising acidity of the world's oceans and atmosphere has facilitated the emergence of the consumption virus and other new diseases. We are fortunate that the limestone barrier in Newfoundland retains its strong alkaloid nature. Based on the laboratory research that has been completed here, we need to explore the possibility that there is an element in the calcium carbonate in the limestone that counters this virus. Everyone in the group sat back, absorbing the information just presented by the scientists. Thurgood was the first to speak. All of you have done extraordinary, multidisciplinary work here today in the last few months. These presentations give us a rich menu from which to develop a research plan as we go forward. For myself, I need to read and reread my notes and transcripts from today's presentations to clarify my own thinking, as each member of this team has proposed avenues for future research. We need to decide tomorrow if we are on the right track and what our priorities are. I thank you all for the work you've done. Thurgood closed his notebook and stood up. The session was over. Anna walked to the end of the room where her husband and her mother were sitting. Extraordinary, she said, so many possibilities. Benjamin and Claire nodded in agreement. Christina walked by as they were putting on their coats and winter gear. Anna waved her over. Christina, I would like to introduce you to my husband, Benjamin Patton, an epidemiologist who's been doing some work for WHO and the CDC, and Claire Work, my mother, who was a public health physician for many years before she retired. This is Christina Anoua, a research biologist known to us from Cambridge Bay Research Station in Nunavut. We are so fortunate to have you on our team, Christina. Christina smiled shyly at the three physicians. I believe that there is much to be learned in Nunavut and from the Inuit people that can help with this pandemic, she said. Christina, tomorrow I hope you will be able to share with us some of the medicinal practices of the Inuit people, particularly the traditional use of the Arctic slug. Anna turned to Benjamin and Claire. Christina told us that many of the women in her family are traditional healers. She turned back to Christina. I've been thinking about that, Anna, replied Christina, and I have some ideas about further research the team could do in Cambridge Bay. I'm meeting tonight with some of my colleagues from Nunavut who now live in St. John's. Perhaps they will have some insight into this. This has been a very exciting day for me, believe me. The four of them stepped out of the Cape Spear bunker into the blustery December evening. They hurried to their cars. They could hear the waves pounding against the ramparts below them, where two big guns protected St. John's Harbor from eubles during the Second World War.